Good morning and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. This is Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And especially we want to welcome our listeners listening by way of Anchor and also by way of Spotify and the other platforms that we use here at Sunshine USA. Uh, as you know, this is a podcast dedicated to um, the teaching of the Word of God, and it's also our desire to share the gospel with those who are unsaved. Now, I want us to turn in our Bibles right now to, um, let's see, we want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Many of you are aware of the fact that we're currently going uh, through uh, verse and second Peter, and we finished up chapter three in the last broadcast, or at least uh, I did a summary of what we find in chapter three. Now we're in chapter four, starting with verse one. It says, "Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves with the same resolve." because anyone who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, when Christ saved you, whenever that was, if you are saved, in my case, I was saved the Sunday before Thanksgiving, 1969. So when Christ saved me back in 1969, he forgave my sin. Now, of course, I would love to say, that I've never committed a single sin since then. But the truth of the matter is, uh, we have all sinned. Most of us submit, uh, commit some sin every day, either a sin that we know about or even a sin that we don't know about. We hardly ever go a day without sin. But when Christ saved you and I, he forgave us all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so in that sense of the word, we're done with sin. It's not that we won't sin anymore, but we know that we have the forgiveness of God. Now, having said that, I could tell you, certainly at the end of the day, I like to pray and I like to ask God to forgive me of my sins and uh, forgive me of my shortcomings. But I also have the assurance that when I got saved back in 1969, that all of my sins are covered, past, present, and future. And so I'm very excited about that. And, um, and then that means you and I should uh, make it a point to live for God and not to engage in deliberate, intentional sin. We go on to verse 2. It says, Consequently, he does not live out his remaining time on earth for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, one of the things about it is the fact that when you and I got saved, we began to develop a desire to live according to the will of God. In other words, we're going to do everything we can to live a good, clean Christian life. Not because we are doing it to get saved, because you see, salvation is by grace through faith. 
But once you are saved, you want to live in the will of God. And you want to live in obedience to the word of God. And that means that we should be eager to do the will of God. It says here in verse 3, For you have spent enough time in the past carrying out the same desires as Gentiles, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. But because of this, they consider themselves, consider it strange, rather, of you not to plunge in with them into the same flood of indiscretion, and they heap abuse on you. But, in verse 5, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, that's the end of verse 5. Now, we have to realize that as Christians, we're going to have to give an account of our life before God. Now, bearing in mind he's forgiven us our sins, past, present, and future, but now that we're saved, now that you know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you do, then our desire should be to live for him. And, of course, a reminder that we're going to have to give an account to God. For example, I'm going to have to give an account to God for every sermon I've ever preached, for every Bible study I've ever taught. I'm going to have to face God in eternity with that. I'm going to have to face God in eternity for the way that I have lived since I got saved. And so will you. And so that's an important thing to take into consideration. Verse 6, that is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged as men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Now there's a little bit of prophecy in that verse. The end of all things is near. Uh, I believe, for example, that the next great prophetic event will be the rapture. Now, when the rapture takes place, all the Christians on the earth at that time are going to all of a sudden quickly disappear. Now, the rapture will only be for Christians. If you're not a Christian, you're going to be left behind. One preacher said that the world will not be affected except as it will be affected by the loss of Christians. So, <laughs> that being the case, we have to understand that when Christians disappear from this earth, especially when all the Christians disappear at one time from this earth in the rapture, you can imagine that since Christians fill almost all occupations on earth, every position on earth, you can imagine that those left behind will nonetheless be affected by the rapture. There are many who will be scared half to death. They're not going to know what's going to happen next from day to day. And above all, the Bible says, um, therefore live clear-minded and sober so that you can pray. So that you can pray. Uh, the Bible indicates if we're not living for the Lord, it's going to hinder our prayer lives. 
So among other things, we need to live for the Lord so that we can pray. We need to be as Christians careful what we put into our minds, careful what we put into our eyes or what we watch with our eyes because it affects us. I mean, someone that's uh, watching pornographic movies all day and they're drinking beer and getting high on drugs, you cannot expect that kind of a person to have any kind of a prayer life. In fact, to be honest with you, if a person lives like that habitually, I seriously doubt that they've even been saved. And then it says here, above all, love one another. This is verse 8. Above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So we're to love each other. We're to have love for the brethren. And by the way, that's why you and I, you and I should have a love for going to church. Now, you know, a lost and dying world, they might think, well, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to go to church. It's a waste of time. But for us as Christians, we should have a great desire to go to church and be with other Christians who believe as we believe. Now, I can tell you in the past several months, um, either because I had COVID, which I did for a couple of weeks. Now, fortunately, you know, it didn't get as bad for me as it has for some, and it certainly didn't kill me. <laughs> Amen. I'm very thankful for that. But because of that, and the fact that I have been residing in um, a long-term care facility, um, you can understand that my ability to go to church has not been so great. Now, I do plan in the next week or so to be moving. And I'll be moving into my own independent apartment in, well, near downtown Greenville. And um, I'm looking forward to that because, again, I should have the ability to go to church and worship the Lord with other Christians. And I cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to that. And all of us as Christians should look forward to go into church, loving one another. Now that means that if a Christian in your church is going through some hard times, we need as Christians to be there for them. You know? We need to love on them. We need to care about them. For example, uh, there might be people uh, in your church that's going through a divorce. There might be People in your church who are unknown to you are homeless. Or maybe they're not homeless, but they don't have any food. And we need to be sensitive to this and help them to the degree that we can. That all comes under the heading of loving one another. In fact, it says not just to love one another, but to love one another deeply. To love one another deeply. And the other thing to think about, too, is that when you consider how much Christ has loved you and how much God has done for you, then it should be a lot easier to do good to other people. Amen? Amen. Now, 
It says, show hospitality one to another without complaining. Show hospitality one to another without complaining. That's in verse 9. So we should show hospitality to each other. We should be kind to each other. We should help each other. Because after all, as Christians, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It says here, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, each of you should use whatever gift he has received in order to serve one another. If anyone speaks, he should speak as one conveying the words of God. If anyone serves, he should serve with the strength God provides so that, all so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom the glory and the power be forever and ever. Now what we find here is that you and I should use whatever spiritual gifts we have for the benefit of others. And of course, uh, sometime I would love to do a series of Bible messages on these spiritual gifts. But just to mention a few, for example, if you have, for example, as I do, the gift of teaching, that is the gift of teaching God's word, then you should have a great love and a passion for teaching other Christians the word of God. I also have a desire to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. In both of these instances, I am using the gifts that God has given me for the benefit of others, and for the glory of God. Now, of course, you may not have the same gifts I have. You may have, for example, um, um, the uh, gift of helps. You know, you just love to help wherever you can. If your church is asking for volunteers for something, usually you're the first one to get in there and volunteer and do whatever it is that needs to be done. I remember years ago, earlier in my ministry, I used to uh, go to a senior citizen apartment complex and I would do a Bible study. And uh, because I was working a secular job at the time, uh, I couldn't get over there before 7 o'clock. But one of the residents in that retirement uh, complex, they spent a good part of that day setting up the chairs, uh, putting a hymn book in every seat, making sure the piano and the podium were moved into place. Uh, that person was a very big help. He was not a highly educated man. In fact, he couldn't even read and write. And yet, at the same time, he was such a big help to me personally. He was using his gift of helps in order to benefit me, but also to benefit others because everybody who came, they had a seat to sit in, they had a songbook, and that was great. And that's the way all of us should be as Christians. We should have a desire to use whatever gift we have um, for the benefit of others. Some, you know, have the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of mercy, then, of course, you want to be merciful to others. 
you might have, uh, for example, the the gift of discernment. It, it's fairly easy for you to tell what is of God and what is not of God, and to warn others. And so that's a good gift for you to have. Um, but whatever gift we have, we're to use all of this for the glory of God, and to do it with the strength that God provides. In other words, God is going to give you the strength and the ability to do whatever it is he wants you to do. I mean, let's face it, it wouldn't make sense for God to tell you to do something even though he knows good and well you can't do it. There's a lot of things I would love to do for the Lord and I'd be willing to do for the Lord, but I don't have the ability to do it. <laughs> it's not the gift that God has given me. But whatever thing God has told you to do, he will give you the strength to do it. He will provide the resources to do it. Uh, I feel a little bit uneasy when a preacher is on the radio or TV for 30 minutes and all they're doing is asking for money. They should realize that if God has told them to be on radio and television, then God is going to supply the money necessary to um, do whatever it is that needs to be done. I, I remember one evangelist years ago, I, I doubt that he's still alive today, but back then he had so many bookings in so many different parts of the country. He had a legitimate need for a private airplane. In fact, that private airplane allowed him to accept a far greater number of bookings every year than if he didn't. And so he prayed and asked God for an airplane. And God granted that request. And the reason God granted that request is because of the fact that God knew that person needed an airplane. Now, if I, I, if I get up in the morning and I ask God for a million dollars, he may not give it to me. Because he might decide, hey, Warren, I'm not going to give you a million dollars because you don't need it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, next we go to talking about suffering as Christians. In verse 12, Beloved, be not surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. Now, here in verses 12 and 13, it tells us about the coming suffering that you and I are going to try, face. Some of you might be going through quite a trial right now. And those of you that haven't gone through trial and tribulation yet, don't worry, your time's coming. Amen? <laughs> Amen. We have to understand that just as Christ had to suffer, even so, we have to suffer. Not everybody liked Jesus when he was on earth. And guess what? If you're a Christian living the way God wants you to live and doing the thing that God wants you to do, yes, you're going to suffer persecution. And I'm afraid, uh, like here in the United States, I'm afraid 
that in the United States and other countries, as time goes on from this point forward, I think we're going to be facing more and more temptation. We should expect it. It should not come as a surprise to us. Now, when I say temptation, I mean to say that we're going to be facing more and more persecution. Uh, Many people believe that the world is probably seeing more Christians persecuted now than ever before. And I believe that's probably true. And I believe there's more persecution to come. Just in the last couple of years, here in this country, the United States, we have seen churches closed and shut down. I, I never thought that would happen in my lifetime. I never thought that any city or any state would tell their churches they couldn't open. And of course, we know that today a lot of Christians have simply stopped going to church. Unfortunately, they have quit going to church. That's sad. They say that some of the people that left the church during the pandemic will likely not come back. In fact, they say about 30 to 40 percent of those who left during the pandemic are not likely to come back. That means that we as a church, we have our work cut out for us to try to do everything we can to get these people to come back. Now, I thank God, since I've been unable to go to church for several months now, I mean, I thank God for churches that are streaming their services online. Man, I tell you, I thank God for that. It allows me to get in on church. But I can also tell you from experience, it's not the same thing as being there. Yeah, you get a blessing watching it on television, but you get an even greater blessing if you're able to observe it in person. Kind of like a ball game. Those of you who are football fans and baseball fans, if you love sports, you love going to a ball game. And you know that being there at a ball game in person is nothing like watching it on television. Being there in person is so much better. One of the things that I like in the apartment where I'm going to be moving, it's only about a block or two from the baseball park in downtown Greenville. And I'll be able to walk there. So I'll probably see more baseball games next season than I've seen in a long time. I love baseball. And I can tell you when it comes to baseball, I would far rather be at that game in person than to simply watch it on television. It says here, If you are insulted, now by the way, in verse 13, let's back up just a moment here. In verse 13, it says, rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ. You know, a lot of times when we as Christians are going through hard times, when we as Christians are suffering or being persecuted, we have this tendency to gripe and complain about it. But Peter here is telling his readers, don't complain about it, don't gripe about it, rejoice. Thank God that you're able to suffer just as Christ suffered. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, 
you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Indeed, none of you should suffer as a murderer or a thief or wrongdoer, even as a meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glory, but glorify God that you bear his name. Now, once again, he's saying that you shouldn't suffer as a murderer or as a thief or wrongdoer. In other words, let's say you get locked up in prison because you're accused of murder or you're accused of stealing something. That's bad. That is really, really bad. But, on the other hand, if you are locked up in jail or prison for preaching the gospel, then I think that's good. I was reading about this one preacher here in the United States during the pandemic. He was actually locked up in jail for preaching the gospel when the government said his church had to be closed, but he conducted the service anyway, and after the service, he was arrested and taken to jail. Now, I'm afraid we're probably going to see a lot more of that going forward into the future. Now, in verse 17, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? In other words, what we're being told here in verse 17 is the fact that judgment is going to begin with the family of God. Now, ultimately, all people saved and lost alike are going to face judgment. Now, for the unbeliever, they're going to face the great white throne judgment. For we as Christians will one day face the judgment seat of Christ. So there's a judgment coming for all, whether you're saved or even if you're lost. But the point is, judgment begins with us. It begins in the house of God. Verse 18, and it is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Let me read that again in verse 18. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So those who suffer according to God's will should entrust their souls to the faithful creator and continue to do good. Now that brings us to the end of chapter 4 in 1 Peter. Next time we'll go to chapter 5, which is the last remaining chapter in 1 Peter, and then we'll go on to 2 Peter, okay? Okay. Well, let me do share with you, as I've already alluded to in the message, uh, I'm going to be moving in the next week or so. Therefore, um, I may not be able to produce as many of these programs as I've done in the past, but I'm going to try to make time every day available for uh, the teaching of God's Word. You can be sure of that. And uh, be sure to pray for me that I will get the helpers that I need to help me move. Uh, I, fortunately, I don't own a lot of stuff, so it's not going to be a, uh, 
a long, time-consuming thing, but it will take time nonetheless, and I'm very much aware of that. Um, and so I do need to, um, to do that. But be praying for me. Uh, once again, if you have any prayer requests or Bible study questions, you can email me. Um, I've got two email addresses. One address is warrenlandis at yahoo.com, and the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And, of course, if you give me permission, I'll be more than happy to um, share your prayer request with others. And I, I don't know about you, but to me, it um, makes me feel good when I mention my own prayer request on the radio, knowing that Christians all over America and all over the world are praying for me. And I'm sure it would make you feel good to know that as well. Well, I, I tell you, uh, I enjoy doing each and every one of these uh, broadcasts. I've been doing it now for some time, as you know. And I hope to continue doing these broadcasts until the day I die. And, of course, each broadcast is archived so that you can go back and listen to any previous broadcast that you want to. And I thank God that we have the ability to do that. Now, because of that, I hope to be preaching on the Internet long after the Lord calls me home. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Because I, I tell you, as much as I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to heaven by myself. I want to take others with me. Well, it's been a great joy um, being with you on this podcast today. I hope that you'll tune in again next time to Sunshine USA. So until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.